Revelation chapter 14 in your Bibles, if you would. I'd like to pick up where we left off uh, a couple weeks ago. We had seen uh, chapter, number, uh, chapter 14, verse 7, and we talked about the everlasting gospel, right? You remember that? Uh, the four different gospels you have in the Bible, and the everlasting gospel is a gospel uh, being preached in the tribulation period. It's not the same gospel as the gospel that you're getting, um, the gospel of the grace of God, where Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He is buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. He was seen of above 500. Uh, that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's a gift that you receive. If you don't receive it, you go to hell, period. And if you do receive it, you go to heaven, period. It's a, it's a new birth. And throughout your Bible, there wasn't, they weren't saved the same way in the Old Testament, and they're not saved the same way in the future as you're saved. One of the biggest problems with these churches that you're in nowadays is they, they try to simplify the Bible so much to make everything jam into their doctrine or their viewpoint. And what will happen is you'll be forced to change your Bible. We don't believe in changing the Bible. We believe in letting the Bible change us. So if my doctrine doesn't match the Bible, guess what changes? My doctrine changes. Now, there's nothing to fear in saying there's different Gospels. Because there's only one Gospel that applies to you, and you know what Gospel that is. It's the Gospel of the grace of God. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. But understand this, and forgive my repetition, but understand this, if salvation is by grace through faith, and faith is defined in the book of Hebrews as the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen, right? That's faith. Well, if Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning in Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom, and babies are being born into sinful people who went through the tribulation period into the millennium, which we'll get to as we're going through Revelation, how are those people saved the same way you are by grace through faith? if they see Jesus Christ seated on that throne in Jerusalem, their salvation can't be the same way yours is. So as you're reading through your New Testament, you've got to understand that some of your New Testament isn't even speaking to you. Just because it's in the New Testament doesn't mean it's speaking to you. You've got to find out what part of the New Testament's talking to you, what doctrine is to you, what doctrine isn't. And that's why you have all these different churches out there preaching a whole bunch of different things and they all open the Bible and go to the Bible to prove their point. And they try to make everything mesh into whatever their viewpoint is or whatever they've been taught and you get all messed up. All right, so we talked about those, uh, those four different Gospels and I showed you the, the everlasting Gospel in Revelation 14 the last time. Now let's pick it up in verse number 8. It says, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city... Because she hath made all nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to help us tonight. Open up this book to us. I pray you to make these things clear. 
and speak to our hearts. God, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so look over at Revelation chapter 17, if you would. You'll notice in verse number 8, it says, There followed another angel, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, the great city, right? Because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Look at Revelation 17, and look at verse 1. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show thee the judgment of the great whore, that sitteth upon many waters. So what we're looking at is we're looking at who this Babylon is in verse number 8 of Revelation 14. And we've already touched on this before, and we'll dive into it when we get into Revelation 17, but I'm going to point some things out to you to help you uh, begin understanding what it's talking about. Look at verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the, and the, inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. And here is the mind that hath wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains upon which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is, and another is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. So let's stop right there, and we'll dive into this in detail when we get to it. But let me point some things out to you. In Revelation 14, 8, it says, There followed another angel, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen the great city, because she had made all nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. When you look over at 17, you know who this Babylon is. It's Mystery Babylon the Great. Now, here's what the Roman Catholic Church tells you. The Roman Catholic Church will tell you Babylon is pagan Rome. Because they're trying to change the word of God in order to hide who they are. This woman's not pagan Rome. It's mystery Rome. It's a spiritual Rome. It's the Roman Catholic Church. Do you know of any church that has wine as a regular part of its service? Fermented wine as a regular part of its service. Um, notice it's got, uh, she's got colors, purple and scarlet. You know any religion that focuses on those colors? Uh, notice something else. She's decked with gold and precious stones and has a golden cup. Any religion that focuses on a golden cup? And this religion is associated with the kings of the earth and commits fornication with them. Now here's another way of knowing for sure this isn't pagan Rome. Look at verse 6. When I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Why would John be wondering with great admiration if it was pagan Rome? Wasn't he exiled on the Isle of Patmos? Didn't he know and see what pagan Rome was doing to Christians? There would be no wonder and no admiration. The angel went to come and said, Why are you amazed? Wherefore didst thou marvel? What are you shocked about? You know what he's shocked about? 
He's shocked about what he's seeing. This is a religion. This is a mysterious thing. This is the Roman Catholic Church that's drunken with the blood of the saints. So when this Babylon has fallen over here in Revelation chapter 8, it's some kind of a great religious movement that's coming down and she made all nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. You know what that is, that religion is? Look, I, I don't hate Catholics. Okay? So if I'm offending you, you're being hypersensitive. The truth is the truth. That religion is a wicked and abominable religion. Their leaders are, are straight from the pit of hell, and the Pope himself is the Antichrist. Do you understand that? We've been going through that, and I've been showing you that for quite a while now. And what they're doing, and they're, what they're drunk with already, and they'll be drunk with some more, is the blood of the saints. If you follow Jesus Christ, open up a Bible, believe a Bible, and preach a Bible, guess what? They hate you. Because that Bible exposes their sin. That Bible exposes that false religion. So, like it or not, this is one of those things that as long as God allows me to be the pastor of this church, I won't back off on giving you the truth about that stuff. The Roman Catholic Church is not for you. Are there saved people in the Catholic Church? Of course, there's, it's perfectly possible for there to be born-again people sitting in a Catholic Church. Absolutely. Are they saved from listening and following that church's doctrine? Absolutely not. That's, that's a wicked religion, and we'll get into it more as we go over Revelation chapter 17. Now go down to verse number 9. And a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his hand, forehead or in his hand... So you've got a couple different options of where you can receive the mark in the tribulation. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name." Wow, what a mouthful. All right, first of all, back up to verse number 9. The third angel follows them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and receive his, and his image and receive his mark in their forehead or in his hand. Now, I've showed you already how that mark, that number of the, of the beast is 666. And his spot is a black spot. And the number of his name, right? Uh, what's the name of blasphemy that that woman had on her forehead? The name of blasphemy, it's Holy Father. It's giving the title Holy Father to a man is blasphemy in the Bible. And we studied that already in previous studies moving through Revelation before this point. Folks, you have to not study your Bible to not be able to understand what the Roman Catholic Church is, who the Antichrist is, and what's going on. And this bunch of, uh, of biblical midgets out there nowadays, I'm serious, they're biblical midgets. When a preacher gets up and tells you you're going through the tribulation... He's a theological dunce. He does not believe the Bible he claims to be teaching you. How can you be going through the tribulation period if your salvation is totally different than theirs? If they can lose it and you can't. If they're told to fear God and keep His commandments and you're told your salvation is by grace through faith, those are two totally different doctrines for salvation. How are you there? You're not in the tribulation period. You're gone. You're getting caught out of here before the great tribulation comes. So don't start freaking out about whether or not you took the vaccine. I, I'm, you wouldn't believe the amount of ridiculous questions that I had to answer when all that stuff was going on. 
I don't understand. Listen, get, get stronger in your doctrine than that. And understand that that mark is not, if you're born again, if you're saved in here tonight, you can't take that mark. You won't be here to receive it. So you got a social security number. Well, when I was a kid, there were still some rumblings about the social security number and the mark of the beast and all this kind of stuff. And then credit cards and a cashless society and then the vaccine and all the rest of it. Relax, would you please just relax? You're not going into the tribulation period. These people have a totally different doctrine taught to them for their salvation. That's one of the greatest ways you know you're out of here. Now, notice this. In verse number uh, 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Folks, this is the cup that Jesus Christ did not want to drink in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He was drinking the wine of the wrath of Almighty God. He said, I don't want to drink this cup. Well, I'm sure thankful he did, aren't you? Man, if you bypass the salvation in Jesus Christ, I'm not trying to be mean or rude to you. I say this stuff to make you think you're a fool. You're, you're a fool to pass up salvation in Jesus Christ. That wrath has already been poured out for you on the cross of Calvary. The forgiveness of God for your sin. If you're not saved, you're probably going to go into the tribulation period pretty soon. Because we believe we're getting out of here pretty soon. I wouldn't take that chance. To see the wine of the wrath of God poured out without mixture, the cup of his indignation. And he says, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the angels, of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Go back with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10, please. Matthew chapter 10. So they're told not to take the mark in the tribulation period. They're told to fear God and to keep his commandments, right? Everlasting Gospel. Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse 22. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. You know who that's talking to? It's talking to somebody in the tribulation period. It ain't talking to you. You know, you can walk into churches today all over this country and have them sit down and tell you that you're saved by grace through faith, but you've got to endure to the end. And if you turn from God after you're saved and don't serve Him, you're going to lose your salvation and go to hell. And they got a Bible verse to show it to you. The problem is they don't understand what rightly dividing the word of truth is. You're told, study to, oh, the preacher's told, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth so that he can give you good doctrine. If you don't rightly divide your Bible, you're going to start thinking that, listen, you've you got to endure to the end to be saved. This thing's talking about the tribulation period. And when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. And verily, for verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. Skip down with me, if you would, to verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him. What's that everlasting gospel? It's fear God. Fear Him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know what they'll do if you don't receive the mark in the tribulation period? They'll cut your hand off. And they'll say, all right, now give me your forehead. And if you got the character it takes to say, I'm not taking the mark in my forehead, they'll cut your, cut your head off. 
And guess what you do? You get saved. You're saved through that thing. You endured to the end. You made it through. He said, don't fear them that can destroy the body. Fear the one that can destroy the body and the soul in hell. So if they wind up fearing the Antichrist, fearing the beast, fearing the government, worrying about whether or not they're going to get to eat, then they lose their salvation. Man, you, got, you know, you get all kinds of good preaching out of that. I mean, there's some good spiritual applications you and I can draw to our life. You got no business worrying about the economy. What are you worried about that for? You got no business worrying about what other people think and all the rest of that stuff. Why don't you just focus on fearing God? It'll help you out a lot in your life. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. But doctrinally, that's not to you. Matthew chapter 5, look at this one. Here's a real good one. Go to verse, uh, verse 29. Matthew 5, 29. He says, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and that thy whole body should be cast, in, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. You know what he's telling them here? He's saying, anything that gets in the way of you and God, cut it off. It's better for you to get rid of that sin than to wind up going to hell. Now, where in the world do you find that in Paul's epistles to you? Your, has your eye offended you since you were saved? Don't raise your hands, okay? But has your foot offended you since you've been saved? Has your hand offended you since you... Has anybody sinned since you got saved? Yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Has anybody sinned longer than you should have since you've been saved? Yes, sir. Well, I mean, I don't see Christians walking around hacking their hand off and hacking their foot off. Mm -hmm. But in the tribulation period, when you only got three and a half or seven years or whatever it is, um, you might as well spend the last few years maimed than letting anything get in the way of your walk with Jesus Christ because it ain't worth it. You have to endure to the end to be saved. That ain't to you. Thank God. <laughs> Look at Matthew chapter 18. You got to know how to rightly divide the Bible, and you got to understand that some of the stuff Jesus was preaching back here in the Gospels was to the Jew in the tribulation period or to the millennial reign, not to the church. He came to the Jews, and then the Jews rejected their Messiah. And then, guess what comes into play? The mystery of the church that was revealed to Paul. The apostles didn't even get it. You can read the book of Acts and find out the apostles didn't even understand what was going on. The Jew and Gentile in one body, they didn't even get it. Matthew chapter 18, look at verses 8 and 9. Wherefore, if thy hand offend thee, or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into eternal fire. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. It's better for thee to enter into life, have it with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. How about that? How about that for pastoral counseling? Preacher, I got a drinking problem. All right, come on in my office. We'll cut your hands off. <laughs> Preacher, i got a smoking problem. Okay, here's my advice. Go, to, go to the, back to the house, get some, some kind of medication, numbing agent. Cut your lips off. Preacher, i got a problem with gossip. Stick your tongue out. <laughs> Cut that thing off. There you go. And throw it in the trash. Now go on. You'll be all right. You know, it's better than going to hell. <laughs> well, I mean, what are you going to do with that? He's being pretty clear about what he's saying. You going to make that spiritual? Nothing about that spiritual. He's telling them how serious it is that their works be matched with their faith. 
but you're told that you're not saved by your works. So either there's a mistake in the Bible or that thing's dealing with these people in the tribulation period, which it obviously is. Now you'll notice over and over again that he talks about hellfire. Go to Matthew chapter 25, please. Over and over again, he's dealing with hellfire, right? You know what's wild? Check this out. And these are really, really old numbers, all right? Matthew 25, if you would. So these numbers aren't even accurate. This is, this is probably 30 or 40 years ago. 90% of congregational ministers don't believe in hellfire, in a literal burning hell. 30% of Lutheran ministers, ministers, not talking about church members, I'm talking about the preachers, ministers. 30% of Lutherans didn't believe in hell. 96% of Episcopalians didn't believe in a literal hell. 85% of Presbyterians didn't believe in a literal hell. 92% of Methodists didn't believe in a literal hell. And 50% of Baptists, ministers, didn't believe in a literal hell. You know why preachers don't preach on hell anymore? They don't believe it. You know why? You know the only reason you would air condition hell? You're fixing to move in. That's the only reason. Listen to me. That's mind-blowing. You know why preachers all over this country today stood in pulpits with hundreds of people's in, people in their buildings or sanctuaries or whatever you want to call it and wouldn't tell them they're going to hell? They'll say stuff like, take your next steps with Jesus. Lean into God. Consider the Lord. They won't say, look, if you don't get saved, you're going to split hell wide open. You understand that? You're going to burn in hell for eternity. I believe that. Because the Bible teaches it. I think a guy that gets in a pulpit and won't tell people that and won't believe what the Bible says is the biggest crook there is. I don't trust that guy. I'm not saying this to be crude or to be a tough guy or for shock value or anything like that. I would honestly rather hang out with a drug dealer. I'd rather hang around a mob boss. At least I know what I'm dealing with. Nothing seems slimier and snakier to me than some kind of a religious leader who won't tell you what the Bible says and doesn't believe the book they're claiming. They make their living off of it. You know how dishonest that is? That's scary to me. At least a drug dealer, I mean, worst thing is, you know, you die. Then it's over. <laughs> but somebody is dealing with your eternal soul. I was talking to a young man just today, and I, was, he said, well, I said, well, listen, if you were going to go to a doctor, right, and, uh, and, and you wanted, he was going to do some kind of surgery on you, wouldn't he have gone through at least four years of pre-med, then med school, then after that residency? I mean, he's going to put in, what, eight to 12 years of schooling, depending on what kind of doctor he is or more, before he works on your body. And it's appropriate, isn't it? So how much more appropriate is it for a man who deals with the eternal soul of individuals to spend some time sitting back and studying and getting to know the Bible and training and learning and being put through the ringer, put through the ropes, working his way up? How much more important is it? I don't, I don't know about these guys that get up here and claim to be some kind of minister and won't tell you about hell. Matthew twenty-five thirty, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness... There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a place of outer darkness. There's nothing about this that's a parable. There's nothing about this that's an allegory. He said it's an outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's hell. Look at verse 41. 
Then, ye shall, then shall he say unto, uh, also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting, see that? Everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell wasn't prepared for you. God developed hell for the devil and his angels. He didn't want you to go to hell. That was never his plan for you. That was his plan for Lucifer and those that followed him that already had been given eternal life and he put them in hell because they rebelled against him. That's his goal for them. That's not his goal for mankind. But when men won't get saved, when they won't follow the knowledge of the truth, when they won't follow the gospel, they're going to an eternal hell, everlasting fire. So where do these jackleg preachers come up with this stupid ideas that say that you're going you're gonna to be annihilated and that, that after a while, once you've all paid your price and you kind of get out and you've paid enough and eventually some of them take it so far as to say even after Lucifer gets purged, he eventually gets brought out. That's a bunch of garbage. It's everlasting fire. That's what the Bible says. It says it's outer darkness. There's weeping, not, not crying, not sniffles, weeping and gnashing of teeth. You ever been in so much pain, you're like, that's what they're, and they're weeping in outer darkness. There's a conscious memory of the day when I rejected the gospel, the opportunities that God gave me, the people that came by my way, the circumstances that were set up, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet you that born into some people's eternal minds is going to be some spitting little preacher telling them about hell, and they say, I don't like the way he said that. And they're going to remember that conversation on the way home like, man, my goodness, man, I had it. I was right there. I was right there and I didn't do it. Whew. Go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. There's a literal, visible, eternal hell. And souls are going there even though God did not intend for souls to be there. Matthew 13, uh, verse 36. Uh, no, I don't want to show you this one right now. Yeah, I do. Look at verse 42. Uh, we'll come back here. Well, no, it's, it's in there. Let's go ahead and look at it. Jesus sent the multitude away, verse 36, and went into the house. And his disciples came into him, saying, Declare unto us the parables of the tares of the field. This is going to tie back in later. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. Notice, he that soweth the good seed is, he's explaining the parable right now. Do you follow me on that? Okay, the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. We're going to see that in just a, in, in a minute in Revelation 14. This is, a, this is a rapture at the end of the tribulation period. That's, this is not our rapture. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of the world, of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> That's him explaining the parable in detail. That's not him giving an allegory. That's him saying the parable I was just talking about, the allegory I was just using... 
This is what it means. It means an eternal lake of fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what it means. You have to, you have to not want to believe it to miss the point. Go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We're just scratching the surface. Do you know Jesus Christ preached, um, man, I think it was 7 to 1 on hell as opposed to heaven. He preached more on hell than he did on heaven. But then people will go from these churches, oh, he just loves Jesus, and we just learned so much about Jesus. And you get, he doesn't even know the Jesus. He's not even following the Jesus of the Bible. That's not even his example. He's a con man trying to get your money and keep you in your church. Mark 9, good verse 39. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you that he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, where the fire into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where do you get this annihilation garbage? You show me a verse on annihilation. You show me the verse where it says they're going to burn up. He said the fire is never going to be quenched and you're going to get cast into it. Watch this in verse 44. Where their worm dieth not and their fire is not quenched. Their worm dieth not? Now, now what kind of body are you getting when you get raptured? Made like whose body? Made like the body of Jesus Christ. You know what he said to the ones that aren't saved? You're of your father, the devil. You know what they become? Their, their unglorified body? Lost people that go to hell with their conscious state of who they are. Their soul and their spirit still intact. They're going to hell. And they're in a carcass made like Lucifer. They devolve. They don't evolve. They devolve. They become worms in hell. You thought, you thought Hollywood knew how to make up a story. Folks, this is scary stuff, ain't it? Don't worry, it gets worse. <laughs> and if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. You think maybe he's making a point? He repeats it over and over and over again. The Lord took hell pretty serious. Go to the book of uh, 2 Peter, please. On our way back to Revelation, stop in 2 Peter, chapter 2. You might take God lightly now, but you won't eventually. Second Peter 2, 17. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, watch it, to whom is reserved, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. These people, this thing's talking about false prophets if you look at 2 Peter 2.1. False teachers. You mean there's guys in pulpits that claim to be Christian, quote-unquote? That God says are lost. 
How do you know you got the right one? If Satan appears as an angel of light and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. Well, I'll tell you exactly how you know. The book. That's the only way you can figure it out. Yeah, how do you know you're preaching the right stuff, preacher? Because I go chapter by chapter through my Bible. I soak in that passage all week long. I run the references. I pray over it, and I make sure I'm giving you Bible. I don't correct it. I don't change it. I don't twist it. I don't manipulate it. I leave it right like it is, and I show you what the book says. There's no doubt about it. But boy, if you start running by your feelings, you're going to wind up following a guy, and there's some saved people that sit there and follow guys that aren't saved at all. My dog's got a better chance of making it than they do. I'm telling you, I'm serious. They're on their way to hell, and they're sitting there preaching to saved people, making them feel good. And where they're headed is black. It's outer darkness. Go to the book of Jude, verse 13. You pick the chapter. It doesn't matter which one. Jude verse 13. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Revelation chapter 20. I hope you get a real, honest, genuine, biblical view of what hell is. I, well, I'm already saved. Yeah, I know. I realize that. I know who I'm talking to on a Sunday night. And I'm taking the time to run these references on purpose because I want all of you to get a real view of what eternity in the lake of fire looks like as much as the Bible can show you. You know why? What better way to motivate a bunch of people that are on their way to heaven to reach somebody else with the gospel than to realize this person that calls me their friend is going to one day stand at the great white throne judgment and look at me and say, why didn't you tell me I thought you were my friend? And you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he's going to say, why didn't you tell him? And you're going to say, well, because I didn't want him to make fun of me and I didn't want everybody to say I'm the weirdo, I'm the church boy, I'm the choir boy, all the rest of that stuff. Well, man, if your ego is that tender and sensitive, why don't you just go find a way to you know, feel like a real man, but stand up for Jesus Christ anyhow. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 20. Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 10. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Is that clear? <laughs> I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. You know, like I heard, uh, I think a brother Wheeler said it. I might be a dummy, but I ain't no fool. <laughs> That's really good. But I'm pretty sure that means like forever and ever. Uh, they're going to be tormented. The rich man in Lazarus. Dip his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. Forever and ever. Hell is a lake of fire. Look at uh, chapter 19, Revelation 19 and verse 20. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. You see that? And them that worshipped his image. 
He deceived him into thinking he was Christ by working miracles, by giving him signs and miracles, pretending to be Jesus. He was copycatting the apostolic signs. You know what's better than signs? A lot better than signs. A lot better than signs. He said charity. <laughs> well, I mean, when I'm charitable, nobody sees how spiritual I am. But when I manifest the gifts of the Spirit, then everybody sees how wonderful I am. Okay. Whatever. But God said the better thing than speaking in tongues is charity. So you got churches. Now you judge it. Now you judge it. You've been around. You judge it. You got churches full of people that speak in tongues. But they got all kinds of moral problems. They got all kinds of drinking problems. They're speaking in tongues on Sunday morning and they're taking Jesus' name in vain and using every vulgar word there is on Monday through Friday. Uh, they're smoking weed on the weekends and getting drunk. And then they're going into church on Sunday morning and saying they're full of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. Now you judge it. You judge it. You just you go ahead and you judge it. But what Paul says is better than all that. The best gift you can come up with is charity. It suffers long and is kind. I don't like that. It envies not. No, I don't like that. It vaunts not itself. It's not puffed up. It's not evilly, easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Charity never faileth. How about that? The Antichrist shows up in the tribulation period, and you know what he does? He speaks in tongues. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. And he tells them he's Christ. And people believe him because they don't open up the Bible to study the Bible, they run by their feelings and what they see and what appeared to them and what they've been through and they run by their experiences, but they don't run by the Bible. And that's why they get deceived. And that's why people all over this planet are deceived by false doctrine because they don't go by the Bible, they go by their feelings. They go by what they saw, they go by what they experienced. You know, you can take some, some, some uh, 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 illegal drugs and you can see some stuff. Does that mean it's God? So that's what he does, and look what God does with him in verse 20, Revelation 19, 20. These both are cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. That's not all. One more. Look at Revelation 21, 8. Revelation 21, 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers. You know what you got? You got fearful people right now. Afraid of everything. Yeah. I mean, afraid of everything. It's getting to be fall. Somebody coughs or sniffles and you're going, <gasps> relax, you're going to give yourself a heart attack, okay? People have been sniffling and coughing for like centuries. You're going to be all right. In the economy and the who's, who's going to be in the office of the president and who's not. I'll live fearful, just full of fear. You know why? They don't fear God. When you really, when you really fear God, you'd be shocked how much boldness you wind up getting. You'd be shocked. I mean, you walk up and witness to a fence post, man. You, you preach the gospel to anybody, anywhere, all the time. It don't matter. It don't matter what anybody thinks when you really fear God. But you got a fearful world and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers. You got a lot of that going on. 
Yeah, you know what they're doing? They're, they're cooking stuff. They're cooking potions up in their kitchens in Mexico and all over this country too, by the way, and shipping it across the borders and giving it to your kids and people on the streets and they're dropping over dead because they're adding fentanyl in with the rest of the stuff and too much of it, it's killing people because they make more money. Yeah. A sorcery. You mix certain chemicals together and then you put it in your body and you see things. You have an out-of-body experience or you have some kind of an experience or, you know, there's all kinds of this stuff going on right now. All kinds of it. All kinds of it. Sensory deprivation and you got to do the mushrooms and get in the sensory deprivation tank and all this. You better stay away from that stuff. You hear me? You better stay away from that. It's wicked as hell. It'll mess you up. You know, one of these stupid yoga classes and clear your mind and, you know, open your mind and you better not. You better meditate on God. You want to get some help for your soul? You better think on God. That's what you better think on. I'm not saying stretching ain't good for you. I'm saying you start getting into the religious side of that wickedness and it'll mess you up. You better be careful about that stuff. I'm telling you, you better be careful. You do what you want. It's your life. You better be careful. And as you get closer to the coming of Jesus Christ, you're going to have a rise in sorcery. You're going to have a rise in whoremongers. You're going to have a rise in murderers and abominable things and idolaters. Now watch this. You'd say, I'm not an idolater. I'm not a sorcerer. I'm not a whoremonger. I'm not a murderer. I'm not abominable. I believe and I'm not fearful. And all what? Liars. <laughs> you, mean God, you mean God lumps liars in with sorcerers and murderers and whoremongers? Yea, let God be true, but every man... Uh, so there ain't a person on this planet that doesn't deserve hell. Look what God said he's going to do with them. They shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Folks, hell is a reality. Back to Revelation 14. And let me explain to you what kind of reality it is now that we've looked at all these verses. It's a reality that is dark, Outer darkness. I'm talking about a darkness so dark you can't see your hand when you put it in front of your face. I remember when I was a kid up north at my grandma's, we'd go up there. She lived in the middle of the Asable National Forest. Man, it was the forest was all around her property. And there was any street lights within forever. And at the time, we lived at Seven Mile Middle Belt. And there was a street light right outside my bedroom window, man. It would shine right through. And we had these little, little square windows at the top of the bedroom there. But it would light that whole room up, you know. And we go up there, and man, at night, it was pitch black. She had a tiny little house up there, and all the cousins would get there, and there was just a whole ton of us, and so we'd all sleep in the basement. But she put that real thick, because it's cold up there in the winter, you know. I mean, they got bad winters. We got a good down here, but it's bad up there. Anyways, y'all are staring at me funny. <laughs> she put that thick styrofoam in the windows, and then she sprayed this kind of foam around it, what I'm trying to tell you is that to keep the cold out, there was no light that came through that window. I don't care how bright the moon was. Right. So it was pitch black. And I remember as a kid waking up in the middle of the night trying to find the bathroom and couldn't find, couldn't, didn't know where I was, tripping over my cousins, running into the furnace. I was going the wrong direction away from everything. I put my hand in front of my face and I would try to see my hand when I was laying there. That one night I woke up trying to find the bathroom and I was freaking out. It was a darkness you could almost feel. Do you know how scary that is? The Bible says hell is outer darkness. 
it says it's a lake of fire. It says there's torments, plural, not just a torment. Torments, plural. Think about that for a minute. Whether shall I go from thy presence? Whether shall I, whether shall I free from it? If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. In other words, when people get to hell for eternity, and you if you're not saved, when people get to hell for eternity, they can't escape God. Right. So the convicting power of God is still on them. They're remembering how God tried to speak to them. They're remembering the times they turned away from the truth. They're remembering the thoughts they had when they were a little kid. Every little thing coming back to you, remembering, like, how, there's got to be a God. There just has to be. Look at that. How, how did that, that can't come from nothing. They remember sitting in class when the teacher was talking them out of what was naturally in them and thinking as they're going through the evolution stuff, like, what, really? Is that possible? Every single opportunity God gave them to begin to acknowledge truth is coming back to them throughout eternity. There's not just physical pain from being immersed in a lake of fire but there's mental pain and spiritual pain and agony and distress of recognizing this didn't have to happen and there's no way out. You, you, who's your worst enemy? No, no, who do you, no, I'm like, not you. Like, that's the right thing to say, and I, I agree with you. Like, you are your worst enemy, I'm my worst enemy, right, and all that stuff. Who's the person you hate the most? No, 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 a person. A person that did you wrong. Somebody that you that did you wrong. Somebody that, I mean somebody that ruined your life. Think of somebody that ruined your life. I want you to think of that person right now. And then I want to ask you, do you really want them to spend eternity in the lake of fire? That's a bad thing, man. Outer darkness, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, burning in that fire in some kind of a devolved supernatural body that they can, that won't ever die and won't ever be consumed. Forever. There was some smart aleck in the jail one time. I'm going to stop here tonight because I got more to show you and I, wanna, I don't want to rush through the rest of this. Some smart aleck in the jail one time said to me, how can it be, how can hell be a lake and be fire? Doesn't water put out fire? And all the guys kind of... <laughs> and I waited, I waited for them to do their snicker, and they all looked at me, and I stared straight. I remember it to this day. I was so mad, I wanted to stink and knock him out. <laughs> Smart Alec. And I said, have you ever seen a volcano? And all the other guys said, oh, dude, they all started laughing and he put his head down. I said, now submerge yourself in a volcano and open your eyes and look around and tell me what you see. You smart aleck. You ain't going to be laughing after 30 seconds in that, let alone after 100 years, 500 years, 1,000 years. 10,000 years, 100,000 years, a million years. You ain't going to be laughing. Now, here's the point that I want to leave with you tonight. I hadn't intended on ending it this way, but it's verse 5 verse. We can stop where we want. And Rob said I got to hurry up because there's cake downstairs. So, yay. But here's the point that I want to leave with you. Is it asking too much? Listen, we don't have a weekly visitation program where we meet at church and you go walk up on people's front porches and knock on it and pray you don't get shot. 
We don't have a bus route where you got to show up on Saturdays because I don't want to wear you out. I don't want church to hijack your, hijack your life. I want some of you men to take your wife out on a date. I want you to have the time to do that. I want some of you dads to spend some time with your kids. Amen. And I think working a job and being faithful to be to church every time the doors are open, that's what I want you to I want you to be faithful to get here. I want you to be in church and let the Bible speak to you and help you out. And it's, that's three a week. So I don't want to wear you out with all the programs that all the churches have to give. But is it asking too much for you to grab some gospel tracts on your way out today? Is it asking too much for you to try to ask God for an open door to tell somebody about Jesus Christ? I don't know how to witness. That's okay. Don't wait. You know, you know the people that most of the people that get saved in this church get saved by people who don't know how to lead somebody to Christ, but just say, why don't you just come to church with me? And then you can ask my preacher all those questions. That's perfect. You don't even have to be the bad guy. I'll tick them off. <laughs> but is it asking too much to care about their soul? He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I think we don't reach people because we don't do the whole weepeth part. I don't think we really care that much about where they're going to spend eternity. I think we need to be weeping a little more. He said, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. God sends forth some laborers into the, your harvest. You know what God will do? I, I, I'll make you a bet. Pray that tomorrow morning and mean it. Don't forget. Pray it tomorrow morning and mean it. And then watch God this week line you up with one person to talk to that doesn't know, and you'll see God in it. You'll see God in it. I'm talking about being a real soul winner. I'm not talking about showing up at church on Thursday night and putting in your hours so you can feel good about yourself. I'm talking about being a real soul winner. You, everywhere you go, remembering you're saved and looking for that opportunity that God will give you. All right, that took a totally different turn than I had planned, but there you go. That's what we have for tonight. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll be dismissed and um, go downstairs and get some cake. Father, I love you tonight and I pray.